What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning into Blacklight Podcast. I want to thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening, be sure to listen to the previous two episodes, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. I have a very special guest on today, and I'm very excited to have them on. They are very talented and knowledgeable and chill and awesome. Born and raised in St. Thomas of the U.S. Virgin Islands, Casey Callender is the award-winning author of the middle grade novels Hurricane Child and King and the Dragonflies, as well as the young adult novels This is Kind of an Epic Love Story and Felix Ever After, and the adult novel Queen of the Conquered. Kaysen was previously an associate editor of Little Brown Books for Young Readers, an imprint of Hachette Book Group, where they acquired and edited novels including Tyler Johnson Was Here by Jay Coles, the New York Times bestseller Internment by Samira Ahmed, and the Stonewall Honor Award-winning novel Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World by Ashley Herring-Blake. Thank you so much for coming on, Kaysen. Thanks for having me. I wanted to have you on because I think uh, you'd be really valuable to anyone looking to get published or just looking for insights into the industry, seeing as you have experience as both an editor and an author. And you found success across MGYA and adult. And you also cross genres, which I think is really cool. So I want to hear about uh, those two books that you have coming out this year and what inspired you to write those. But I also want to hear about your inspiration in general as a writer, since you do so much. Sure. Um, well, I'll start with my inspiration in general. Uh, the motivation that uh, got me from the beginning and keeps me going is just wanting to see more books that reflect myself and reflect people around me. Um, there were just so many times when I was reading uh, middle grade and YA um, and adult books and felt like really frustrated with the way that black characters were described. Um, just like the small things where it's like the hair was too wild or um, mm. to this day, I, I still, ugh, nothing wrong with blue or green eyes, but it's just like every single time I read a character where their eyes are just like shining blue and green, I'm just like, oh, but brown is really pretty also. And like, yeah, you know, why it didn't is. the author it's my make... favorite. Exactly. And you know, why didn't the author, um, make the choice to to uh to focus in on the beauty that can be seen by black characters um also so you know to say that's something that really keeps me going but also just the intersections as i'm sure you also feel where it's like i just never really see myself as a black and queer person um so i really wanted to 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 write those stories for myself and for other people i'm really excited that there are other authors like yourself who are um who are writing those stories too because we're not alone. We're not alone out there. Uh, and for as for like the specific books, King and the Dragonflies is about um, 12-year-old Kingston James, whose brother has just passed away, and King believes that his brother has turned into a dragonfly. So he's kind of going on a um, search to find his brother. But meanwhile, his uh, former best friend, Sandy, has gone missing. And King goes, um, and King wants to find Sandy and uh save him from an abusive father but the issue is that right before king's brother khalid passed away uh, khalid told king to stay away from sandy because khalid overheard sandy telling king that he's gay uh so king himself is like struggling a lot with his own identity because uh, of what his brother said right before he passed away which was really hurtful and also struggling with grief for his brother um especially when his brother has said something that is so hurtful, but he can't, he isn't around to kind of like talk about it at that age and still have as an adult. And I think our discussions a lot of kids are still having, which are like, what is the difference between racism and homophobia? 
and what um how do those uh phobias and those ways that people can hate one another inter intersect and even if you are um white and gay do you still have privilege and you know all these different discussions i think a lot of um that i'm excited to talk to with kids when i start my school visits pretty soon and then Felix Ever After is along the veins of this is kind of an epic love story, which, which is a sweet rom-com set in New York City in the summertime where um, Felix is, has just turned 17 and is transgender. He knows that he's trans. He knows that he's not a cis girl, but is also still kind of questioning his um, identity in some ways. And he's not really sure uh, what his identity is. Um, so throughout the book, he's kind of struggling with that question. But at the very beginning, someone has done something extremely har uh, harmful to him and has dead named him and put up an art gallery of pictures of who he used to be. And, you know, that's incredibly uh, painful for him, but he has a suspect in mind and he has a plot for revenge. Um, and I'm not going to say any more because it's spoilers, but. Uh, wow, that's it's like an amazing <laughs> hook to leave us with. <laughs> Yeah, but it just kind of like ends up in a uh, love triangle, which is very sweet. So I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about both of them. I'm super excited for Felix Ever After. We never get to see Black trans characters. Right. It's yeah. almost like, is this like the first one? I don't, I never, like to say, I never like to say the first because, you know, especially when um, indie, like self-published people have been doing this for yeah. so long that they sometimes just don't get the, the same spotlight that they should have. Like, I'm sure someone has done it before. But I just right. don't know if um, who that person is. If they're listening, I hope that they reach out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that mindset. Um, I'm curious, since you said you were going to be talking about uh, King and the Dragonflies with kids, is there any trepidation when you go into bringing queerness into middle grade narratives? Or like, are you like worried about backlash from parents who are, quote unquote, disapproving of that? Or how do you go about um, incorporating that into narratives for kids of that age? Yeah, I am um, nervous about it, and I've seen the ways that that can come out. There, Hurricane Child has been um, uh, like soft censorship is what we're calling it, where people are kind of saying, uh, oh, the vocabulary is just too advanced for this age group, but clearly the reason behind it is anti-queerness. And in school visits, I've met with students who said things like, I can't bring your book home because there are queer characters in it, or I can't like ask you to sign my book, or I can't be in pictures with you. Um, so it's definitely something that, you know, a lot of children are still struggling with today with parents and just adults in general. But I do think it's that's the reason why it's just as important to make sure those narratives are still in there. Because when I was a kid, not seeing myself became kind of like a dangerous issue where I wasn't seeing myself reflected. So I don't feel like I belong and I don't want any kids these days to feel that way. So I just hope that they all get the story and hope that they get the stories that they need. Yeah, that's great. Like one of my earliest books that really got me interested in reading was called The Skull of Truth, which was banned because um, there were gay uncles in the story. And I read it and I loved it. And the gay uncles were like barely even a part of the story. Yeah. Um, but it's really hard to find, or it was really hard when I was growing up to find books where the queer characters were actually centered. So I think this is a really... Um, we're in a really revolutionary time in terms of acceptance, but I'm glad that you uh, brought up that there's still stigmas because it's really important for people to hear that those things still exist. Um, so I want to ask about how you first got into the industry and if you started out as an author or an editor 
and how that journey was for you. Sure, it was uh, very parallel. I started out um, at the new school MFA program. Um, and maybe in my second year, I think it was, I uh, started my internship at Little Brown Books Young Readers. Um, I think it's important to note that this entire time I was also working in a bookstore, which might sound like random advice, but for anyone who's interested in the industry, if it's possible, I always recommend working in a bookstore because there's no better way to really learn the market and really learn directly from young readers what it is that they're looking for. Um, so I was working at Books of Wonder this entire time also. And I think it was maybe, it was just, it was just a completely parallel journey. Like as I got my position as assistant editor, I think was around the time that I sold Hurricane Child. As I became associate editor, Hurricane Child was like coming out. Um, so I, yeah, I think that they both like kind of helped each other in my momentum and in my movement forward. Cool. Um, I actually, I'm thinking about getting into publishing myself and I'm kind of, I've been like putting out feelers and kind of seeing like the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know yet if I want to be a publishing assistant or an editorial assistant. Mm. Um, I'm just not, I'm not really sure. I feel like with editing, well, this will actually lead us into our next topic, but I feel like with editing, there's, um, there's like a lot of pressure. <laughs> uh, it just feels like when you're directing a story, um, there's so much that you have to think about and there's so, so many sensibilities that you have to have about how narrative works. And in working with my editor, I've actually realized how much that I miss as an author, you know? Um, so what, like, did, were you ever like taught how to spot like those, those things that editors bring up, like world building inconsistencies and like narrative things that need uh, credibility and um, just like more, more shape to, to form into a narrative. Like, where did you, how did you get that? that sort of um, or like detail-oriented perspective to be an editor? Yeah. Um, a lot of the companies will uh, make it feel like an apprenticeship um, relationship. So you will be assisting an editor who uh, would allow you to read their manuscripts, you know, that they're working on and you can give them notes and there are a lot of opportunities to have discussions about those notes. So my favorite part of my job was hands down working with Alvina Ling and being able to read the books that she was working on and sitting there and kind of like discussing how I felt about one part and her saying, you know, I disagree because of this and then me kind of learning from that. And then also mm -hmm. a lot of these companies will have um, editorial meetings where people are all given the opportunity to, like if an editor wants to, well, I should say this is how it specifically was at Little Brown Books Young Readers. It's not necessarily um, how it's across the board. But we would have an editorial meeting where um, an editor would bring in a manuscript that they would like to acquire. And basically, it first needs to be um, approved by the editorial uh, team, assistants including, included. So everyone sitting there would volunteer to read the manuscript. Um, and then the following week would come in with their notes. And you kind of like learn from each other that way as well. But I also have to say, I, I, wouldn't, sell my, I wouldn't sell yourself short because... You wrote a book, <laughs> you know, that's, and you, and you got so, yeah, I, I really do think that that <laughs> um, helped me as an editor because I could, I was much more easily, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure that um, everyone at Little Brown Books Journey is super talented, um, but I, I do feel like as an, as a writer, I was able to kind of like sense what it was that the authors were trying to accomplish a little bit more 
because I myself had tried to do it, <laughs> whether I succeeded mm -hmm. or not. So I could kind of like sense a little bit more of like the writer language. Um, I think yeah. that that would be perfect for you also. Are you going to do it in Atlanta? Um, I'm thinking about moving to New York, actually. Oh, okay. I don't see a lot of opportunities in Atlanta for publishing. So. Yeah. That's really know, exciting. To, yeah. I want to get involved and like change the industry. Yeah. You know, for um, publisher assistance, I'll say um, super quickly from my experience that that tends to be more of like administration stuff where you mm -hmm. are given an opportunity to observe what the publisher is doing. So there, it, that isn't to say that you couldn't like rise from publisher assistant to publisher. Um, but I think it tends to be more like someone who has been like an editor or on the sales team or in marketing because like the publisher yeah. assistant tends to kind of be like in their own category. So I don't know if that's right. what you were thinking. Like you want to become publisher eventually. Well, I, I just didn't know. I mean, I, I felt like when I was looking at, at becoming an editor, I was like, well, do I really want to do that? I don't know. And, and publishing assistant felt a little bit less scary because, mm. I mean, I don't know. It, it felt like it didn't. I kind of was drawn to it because it was administrative and I felt it just felt like a safer place to enter. Mm. Uh, but what about opportunities for advancement if if you're going into publishing assistant versus because I can see how that would work when you're an editorial assistant, and mm -hmm. you're on the track to being an editor. Where do you go if you're a publishing assistant? Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean for publishing assistants. Um, I think that that tends to be like the role that the person really wants to do. So I'm thinking of mm -hmm. like where, where I was the public, like right before she left the industry altogether, she basically was a publishing assistant for like 10 years. And that was her role, just kind of like assisting the publisher. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't say just because that is the hardest. <laughs> I, I myself yeah. been like a publisher assistant sometimes whenever um, the, the, the actual assistant wasn't there. And that's a, that could be a really, that's a hard, I feel like that has even more pressure to be completely honest with you. I'm biased. Yeah. I'm clearly trying to push you into the editorial role, <laughs> but right. it, can be, it, it can be really, um, uh, it's very time consuming and it's very intense because there are a lot of like fast paced, like detail oriented jobs that would need to be done where sometimes um, the publisher would come up to me and be like, I need like this presentation done in an hour because like the CEO is coming to, and wants to know like this, this and that. So, you know, oh that, that is, yeah, that, <laughs> That was That's stressful. Yeah, that was an interesting rule. So, um, yeah, basically, it, you become you stay like publishing assistant. Um, interesting. That's good to know. Thank you for sharing that information with me. No Trying problem. to pick up info everywhere I can get it. <sighs> Let's talk about diversity a little bit. Um, <laughs> Why do you so forlorn? <laughs> well, I it. Ugh, I'm just so tired of talking about diversity because it just. Always just, I don't, I don't know, but I do want to, I do want to hear from you uh, and see what you have to say as someone who has been behind the scenes. Uh, Cause I feel like as an author, I can sort of theorize about why we're not necessarily getting as many stories as I would like where I see myself represented. But I feel like when you've actually been um, in the meetings, you have a more, you know, up, up close and personal perspective. Mm -hmm. So I want to know if you have any insight into the kinds of barriers that we're facing at that level or what the disconnect might be when it comes to acquisitions and why we're not seeing as many black and queer and trans stories as we are the status quo, like Caucasian straight ones. Yeah. Um, 
So I'll say for context, I think across the board, a lot of publishers are feeling the pressure of YA. I think that that genre, or I should say audience, um, is just, there are a lot of books. <laughs> and I'm saying this like as a YA author also, where I'm also like, you know, how do you, how do you um, stand out in, in, the, in an industry that just is like being flooded by so many like YA books in general? And I think the issue there is that sales numbers tend to have gone down overall so then that can um reflect badly on the people who are as you said this is revolutionary we're suddenly we're like pushing our way in right now but if um, sales numbers are are lower all all around for all writers and we're the new ones then it makes it look like we're the new ones who have failed whereas like the white writers who have been doing this all along it's just like oh it's just the industry has gone down all all together so they can continue I think that they have a higher chance of continuing. Um, so I'll say that for sales numbers, for, you know, just like sort of things I've heard, like in meetings that are kind of like, oh, this kind of, this mindset really needs to change. You know, I've heard like the word niche a lot. Like people will say, um, you know, this is just very like, they're just, the more, basically like the more marginalized the character is or the story is, the more niche it is. And this assumption that um, white readers aren't really going to, First of all, the assumption that the white reader is who we're catering to, right? Like they're the ones that we need to um, yeah. in some way. Um, white gay. Mm -hmm. um, and then on top of that, just the uh, assumption that they're not going to want to read our stories. And then unfortunately, from like the, from my side, sometimes it does feel that way. It does feel like a struggle to kind of like break out. And say like Felix Ever After is here and I'm super excited about it. And I think the story is amazing and kind of feel like people might be ignoring it because there's like a black character on the cover, you know, mm -hmm. and just kind of like yeah. trying. It's a lot. It's like there's so many different strains to kind of like juggle with. Yeah. And it's kind of a vicious cycle mm -hmm. with um, readers and, and the output, because I mean, if there are no books featuring the kinds of readers that would make the market more diverse then not putting out the stories for the kind of readers in like underrepresented communities, black and brown readers who would see themselves because they supposedly won't read them. But then if they don't have anywhere to put their money where they're feeling represented, it's just, a, it's like a, it's a fit loop of failure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I am very excited for Felix Ever After and will be supporting it with all my heart and soul. Thank you. I'm excited um, for Jason the box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. So a black light before you go, you have to give us a music rec or two. The vibe can be related to writing or whatever you're listening to at the moment. So lay a music rec on us. Oh my God. I wish I was prepared. Um, I, <laughs> just before I called you, I was listening to the Moana soundtrack and that's incredibly embarrassing. Yes. But I love it. That is not <laughs> embarrassing. Oh my God. I love how far I'll go. That's, that's such a pretty song. On, yeah. <laughs> that's such a pretty song. Okay. Anything else? Um, no, that's, that's not, that's all I was listening to. That's, that's the, that's the recommended. Awesome. Okay. We'll go and listen to that after, after, uh, we, Blacklight is over. Um, anyways, so thank you so much for joining me. I, I really, I learned a lot in this conversation actually, and I'm really glad that you agreed to come on with me and talk. Um, I'm very inspired by you and watching your success and cannot wait to read. King and the Dragonflies and Felix Ever After. You can drop your website and social handles. 
Oh, good. Um, my website is caseincalendar.com. And my social, I should have this memorized, but one of them has a dot in between and one of them doesn't. Um, Twitter is Kaysen, is at Kaysen Calendar, and then Instagram is at Kaysen uh, period calendar. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And um, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to follow Kaysen on Insta at Kaysen.calendar and Twitter at KaysenCalendar. You can follow Blacklight at BlacklightPod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to be on the show, just reach out to me. Um, I'm interested in having a variety of perspectives on from writers at all levels in, in their careers and editors and educators and everything publishing is really hard and it's been especially hard this month quote unquote i've been seeing that take a lot you know the month of february has been very hard on public for publishing um i have had a pretty hard time of publishing throughout my experience so i don't haven't really noticed this month necessarily being particularly surprising or worse but at the end of the day i think that forming community can be a balm for the terror definitely if you want to come on and have something to talk about just let me know i don't structure the topics around things that necessarily i want people to hear i definitely let my guests bring those to me so if you want to be on just reach out to me with topics i'm not heavy-handed at all about what goes on on blacklight i just really want to use it as a platform to uplift voices so thank you so much for tuning in and i'll be back in two weeks with a new episode peace out